Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Good morning, everyone. This is Richard from the Richard Listens Show, here to bring you another live podcast featuring amazing human beings and their story of resilience. Coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, I am particularly interested in stories of those who have overcome, who persevere in the face of resilience. And today, my guest is Elizabeth Myers. Elizabeth is an Air Force Academy graduate. She is also a Air Force spouse. She is the wife of a full afterburner fighter pilot and the mother of eight energetic children. Wow. The dynamic combination leads to no small amount of chaos in her day-to-day life. She did experience a sudden death of one of her children. A preborn son, Timothy, altered the course of her life. Having come through a season of doubting faith. She shares her personal journey from trial to triumph, and she helps others overcome adversity so they can live their full joy and purpose. In addition to being an author, Elizabeth is also the host of a weekly podcast called Resilient Life Hacks, where she and her fascinating guests share a message of hope and healing through inspirational stories and practical applications. Uh, She will share with us her book, her life hacks, and her podcast. She's also an author and accomplished public speaker, and she will share more about how she can be reached on her website, Elizabeth Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S dot M-E. Without further ado, I'll be welcoming Elizabeth to the stage. Thank you everyone for staying listened and staying tuned and being a part of my tribe. Thank you. Okay, without further ado, thank you and welcome and thank you for being here on short notice, Elizabeth. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes, we were just digressing about the power of apps and how we find guests these days. And Mm -hmm. I'm really glad there is a service like Podmatch out there that helps find 
stories about resilience and hope. And I saw everything that you're working on and dealing with, and I can't imagine what your last year has been like on top of everything. So thank you for making time for others uh, when you're doing so much yourself. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's what makes life meaningful is helping each other out and supporting each other because we all need help and we all have something to offer. Yes, absolutely. And I find it's helped me get out of what was happening in my house, or I know we're going to probably touch upon grief in this, but the profound grief in my family in the last two years from just every time I sit down with a client or tell a story on a podcast of someone else's journey, it takes me to a different place. I realize that like on some level that whether it be my clients struggling with depression or grief or the collective pandemic or things like I know you've mentioned being a military wife, things that are shared experiences, knowing that other people are going through them sometimes removes the isolation of it or the feeling like you're alone. And that, that can really add to Paint. So tell us a little bit. You have several books you've written. You speak publicly. How is that going? And what are you working on right now? I have one book that is already out and published. It's Undefeated from Trial to Triumph. And my second book, I just got back from the editor. So I'm making some changes and it's going to come out in the next few months. It's kind of a sequel. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot. of. We just moved. My husband just retired from the Air Force and we just moved back to Texas, which is my home state. And I was like, I've got to get this manuscript done before we go. So we like, I mean, it was a pandemic anyway, but we just hold up ourselves in our house over Christmas and I finished the manuscript then so I could get it done before we moved. But anyway, it's the sequel. It's called Undaunted, Your Battle Plan for Victorious Living. And then the third book in the series is called Unshakable. And I haven't written that one yet. Were your kids understanding that Christmas was like out for dinner? (laughs) With the military family and a large family with eight kids, we do everything a little bit weird. So Our kids are used to kind of just rolling with it. You know, they're really flexible. They're very resilient too. And so, you know, we just explain, hey, another move is coming up and mom's got to get her book done. So (laughs) my husband, to get my first book done, my husband would take the kids all camping and I would stay home and type. And that's how I was able to find the time. You know, people say, if you're homeschooling eight kids, how do you find the time to write a book? Like, well, my husband has been very supportive and fortunately he and all the kids love to camp. So it it was a win-win. How many days can he manage out of the house? How many days can... With a, with a camping trip, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he could go indefinitely, but yeah, I mean, his job was busy. So sometimes he would maybe take like Friday afternoon off and then just go for the weekend. You know, so I would do the homeschool of children during the week. He'd be doing his Air Force thing. And then on the weekends, he would take them out. And it was just down the road. It was near our house. It was actually on the Air Force base at a lake there. It was really pretty, but he would grill out and cook dinner. So he'd invite me over for dinner. <laughs> And I go, you know, have these steak and potatoes and I'd go home and I'd finish writing. And uh, Oh, that's perfect. I heard from a mutual friend of ours. She had somebody that was working for her and he was out there on temporary duty, you know, so just for a short time. So he didn't, you know, rent a house or an apartment or anything. He was just living in the camping area. And he's like, there's this family that's really weird. They have all these kids and like the mom will just show up for dinner and eat and then she leaves. <laughs> and she said to him, I think I know that family. I think I know you're talking about so it was fun to hear about us you know from a stranger's perspective of like what is this weird family doing but that's how I got my book finished so that's the beauty right like I love it lately when people ask me my story of like why are you in Los Angeles like all I can talk about is like any product or anything that looks like New York. I'm going to see The Heights tonight with my daughter. Her first time in the movie theater. She's about Brooklyn and 
immigration. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like anything that resembles, but somehow I wound up here in Los Angeles and my start, I left my master's degree was everything but the thesis. And I only came cross country because my cousin drove. Like, I don't think I would have left mm -hmm. New York. And I got out here and I didn't have a computer and hadn't completed the thesis. And so luckily I have two cousins who would lock me in their apartment in Manhattan Beach. And that's mm -hmm. how I got my like two or three weekends so it's like funny when we look back on these stories and the people who help us mm -hmm. get over or get through yeah. a moment like that. Sometimes it incurs judgment from the outside. <laughs> yeah, or just a misunderstanding because it was a family adventure. And so when my book launched, you know, I didn't have like a big book launch party out and wherever. We had a, a party in our family. I mean, it was like a birthday party kind of. We're sort of an instant party anywhere we go anyway, because there's 10 of us. So we don't really, you know, if somebody else happens to be over, then, hey, we'll roll you in and include you on our party. But we can have a party all by ourselves. So, you know, we had balloons and cake and all this kind of stuff to launch the book. And the children really felt like they had a part of it. You know, and I showed them the back of the book where it has the about the author page. And it has their picture. And, you know, I talked about them in the acknowledgments. And so they're all excited of like, wow, we're in a book. You know, that was really cool. That's really profound. That sense of ownership, that sense of mm -hmm. being meaningful to a family. Yeah. And even though your dad's a hero serving the country, doing a highly technical job, who knows how much training he had to go through. A whole lifetime. Mom... <laughs> More time and training than anything else, probably. Yeah. Thank God for our safety and our protection, right? But that mom has a voice and an important message for the world too. And I always feel, you know, my mom was a teacher and guidance counselor that it's like, had a lot more to do with, with self-esteem mm -hmm. and my confidence than anything else in yeah. terms of manhood and identity. There's a lot of focus in my practice. So yeah, tell me a little bit about more. How has your year been with COVID? How have you been managing these kids? I know you really want to keep emotion and fitness and health at the mm -hmm. forefront. How has that been? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was more well-prepared for a worldwide pandemic than I realized, partially because of the training and the teaching that I do on resilience. You know, the whole premise is that resilience or grit is a learned skill that we can all learn. And, you know, if we continue to strengthen ourselves and in mind, body, spirit, our emotions, our willpower, you know, the will to go on, all these different things, that we can overcome adversities and meet new challenges. So in a lot of ways, when these stressful things kept coming and it was just like wave after wave you know you hardly get stood up from one thing and the next wave comes and hits you and it's hard but I already had these kind of little tools in my tool bag that I could use for that and then also we were already homeschooling so that was not a big jolt for us I mean they did you know they finished the end of their school year on zoom with our thing that we go to once a week and my daughter had mock trial so she had to do her mock trial on zoom which was interesting oh, but there wow. was very little change with a large family we don't go out to eat that much you know I heard so many people going oh I'm tired of cooking I'm like we don't eat out because it's a hundred dollars for us to go to McDonald's or anywhere, you know, so we just don't. And then I was already dying my roots to my hair. So we, and all the girls just let their hair grow out and we already do the guys haircuts at home. So we were pretty much like pandemic ready. I didn't know that, but we were. So, so you see the adaptability, right? Like that's, I know mm -hmm. a lot of the friends that I drew to when I went out of state school to Florida, when military families growing up like that as a young child, like on the one hand, it's harder just to develop roots. On the other hand, you're ready to yeah. meet new people mm -hmm. and you're ready to take on a lot of things that may not be comfortable yeah. for others. Yeah. It sounds like you balanced that well by having a pod that at least they mm -hmm. had some regularity. Yeah. So, you know, we just, we kind of rolled with it and also living on an air force base uh, was really nice despite whatever was going on out in the rest of the universe on the military base. 
they have very clear leadership and they say, this is how we're going to approach this problem. And then the people actually follow that <laughs> guidance that is given. So, you know, even when there was like kind of a lack of, well, what do we do, you know, from people higher up in the food chain? At the base level, they were like, okay, this is how we're going to handle this issue. And here's how we're going to do this and all these kinds of things. And then people cooperated with those. So I was very thankful to be living on base at a time like that, because I do better in that kind of structured environment of, okay, there's this big, scary new thing, but we need some sort of plan to approach it, you know? Safety and security and in trauma resilience or mm -hmm. any kind of mental health treatment, you, like you kind of need to know you can trust the people you're with or your environment right. is safe. And I even find now it's so funny now it's like it's June 15th almost here in California and it's still like you can sit in a restaurant without the mask when you walk in you have to have one and it's like. Yeah. I find myself the first 10, 15 minutes feeling like an awkward teenager. Like, do I shake mm -hmm. your hand? Do I? We were out in North Carolina, you know, on base. We didn't handshake anymore. You know, you did an elbow. Well, then we move out to Texas and we're out in East Texas in the country. And they're just like pandemic, schmandemic. I'm not going to wear a mask or whatever. So my husband, we were working with a contractor on our house and my husband goes to elbow bump him and he looks at him like, what <laughs> is wrong with you, son? Like, what? What funky chicken dance are you doing? And my husband was like, oh, you don't do that here? Do you do you shake hands? And he's like, yeah, we shake hands. But he was just looking at us so strange. And from the, the military culture that we came from, we have formal you know, functions and ceremonies where somebody's handed a certificate. You know, there's this whole shake, take, salute thing. Well, it turned into elbow bump, take it, salute. <laughs> Tell us more about your motivation, public speaking. I mean, how long have you been doing it? Is it predominantly for families of military uh, deployment or is it surrounded? around grief and loss and faith. Yeah, so my story actually begins, I lost a baby in the second trimester and I got stuck in this place of grief for a long time because our culture doesn't really know how to grieve the child that died before they were born. And I didn't really know how to process it. And all the normal things that you would do when a loved one dies were not really available to me. So I got stuck there and I lived with untreated depression for five years. Part of it was, I didn't know what to label it or what to do with it. Another part of it is, of course, you know, the pride and the stigma both in military circles, you know, of getting mental health help and in Christian circles of, oh, you know, prayers to be enough and we don't need pills or counselors, which is a lie. That's a falsehood. But sometimes that idea is kind of pervasive in Christianity. And so that kind of just kept me faking it for a long time. But finally started to find healing when I just admitted I'm messed up and I need help. <laughs> you know, that was the beginning of it. And so, you know, I walked through this journey of healing and I was part of what I was doing. I, I saw a Christian counselor and she encouraged me to write a journal when I was feeling okay or feeling a little bit encouraged and write to my depressed self of what I wanted that woman to remember when she was suffering. And so I started this journal and three quarters of the way through it, I'm like, I think I'm writing a book. There's healing yeah. going on within. There's this discussion within yourself about feeling and needs. Mm -hmm. Isn't it powerful? I know I tell half my clients when I say write in a journal that you're like, just, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But when I look back at some of the things I wrote to myself and there are themes there, there's wounds yeah. there that have carried, that sounds impactful. Yeah. The whole time I was writing the book, I kept thinking, you know, I'm like, this is never going to get done. But I'm like, even if I'm the only person that ever reads this book, it's beneficial because it helped me process and work through so much. But I just wanted to give that to other people. I had found such healing and such comfort in the things that I was studying. And I just wanted to share that with people. You know, you mentioned earlier feeling alone in the midst of pain is worse. You know, if we're at least in it together, we have that common shared grief. But I felt just really 
alone in this situation. And I don't want other people to feel that way. So it started as a book. And then I find out, oh, if you're an author, you've got to have a blog, you know, so I started blogging. And then it's like, oh, if you want people to hear about your book, you've got to talk about it. And I was like, eh, I'm more of a writer at heart. I don't really like want to be the center of attention, but, but I'm always driven by people need this message of hope and healing people. You know, it's, I don't do what I do for myself. I'm trying to reach people out there. So the more I get on and, and share about things, the more people I can extend that message too. So I've done some speaking, you know, at like uh, women's conferences, you know, and events and things like that, or at Bible studies, various different things where they have asked me to speak on topics or at MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers International. So it was like a mom's group, things of that nature. And then I started trying to get on more podcasts to share more people about the book. And so with the pandemic and everything, you know, all kinds of in real life events closed down. So most of my speaking in the last couple of years has been virtual. I've done a lot of like virtual conferences, you know, even where you pre-record a message and then, you know, they share it that way instead of attending a live conference. So I've done a lot of those kinds of things. I'm looking forward to, you know, things kind of opening back up again and being able to, to speak with people in person and, you know, see listeners face to face rather than just be this floating voice out there. But really what helped me get over my fear of, you know, public speaking or talking in front of people and all that. Well, what if I say something embarrassing and what if I mess up? And it's really just when I don't focus on myself, when I focus on the other people who are listening, I had a really impactful situation that happened. It was two weekends in a row. And at the first weekend, it was an author's conference where I was up for an award and we had 90 seconds to talk about our book. And it was very stressful. First of all, I don't do well with that tight of a time limit. And secondly, it was, it was all the pressure was on me to look good and to present myself well. Then the following weekend, I went to a women's retreat and I was the keynote speaker there. And my focus was not on myself at all. It was all about how can I help these women? And just my experience in those was night and day. The first weekend, I, I know couldn't have a full of panic attack, anxiety kind of goes hand in hand with depression a lot. And, you know, the second weekend I was like, wow, I could get addicted to this format of, of helping people and talking with people and sharing my story. So I really just feel like that's key. When I have the focus on me, I don't like it. It's full. It's not enjoyable. And I'm, what I say doesn't really mean much because I'm focused on myself. But when I focus on people I'm trying to help, then that helps me get over that hump of whatever self-limiting beliefs are, are blocking my path. You said so many things right there. And, and first of all, I want to say, I think it's amazing, right? The resilience just in going from like dealing with the online and having to show up when it's like, we're just figuring it out. We're kind of learning mm -hmm. at the same time. Like some days I'm laughing that my 12 year old daughter is like laughing at me that I don't know how to use a mm -hmm. certain kind of presentation and yet she's yeah. versed in it. <laughs> and yep. this whole journey into podcast, I think it's great that like, they're like, just turn on the camera, just start recording, mm -hmm. just keep reaching out, keep creating, mm -hmm. keep going. And I feel like the PhD part of me was like, what do you mean? Until you have it all yeah. trained and all the answers yeah. and all the reasons. And so it's great to have people in your life that help you overcome that resistance. Mm -hmm. Just say you're enough, right? Yeah. You're meant to be here, whatever message comes out and however many it reaches. I, I think amazing. the pandemic was helpful a lot too, because you saw even the professional newscasters were at home on their laptop in their shorts. And just getting accustomed to doing things virtually got me more comfortable in front of the camera or, you know, being recorded or whatever, just because that was the way we had to interact for so long. Then to go from that to being on a podcast wasn't really that much different than just having a Zoom meeting about other things. And so it really kind of helped break down that barrier for me to 
feel more comfortable in what I was doing. Yes. But in terms of, you mentioned the Christian community, you mentioned the stigma around loss of a child or lack of language. I mean, I find there's a lack of language yeah. in our culture for grief, unless you're from a right. faith community in general. I feel like a lot of people are grieving so many things from the last year, things that they thought were going to happen experiences mm -hmm. uh, you know i have a son who graduated high school but it yeah. really wasn't a graduation like right. it was it was like we were fumbling like you know we didn't have a party or celebration like all these like the anticipatory grief of not knowing mm -hmm. what's next or yeah. right we're used to these things happening in a certain process that gives us a sense of order so how was that for you have you found response from the faith communities have you found the people like how many women go through this i was really surprised when i started looking through it's like 25 percent of women have a miscarriage mine was technically classified as a miscarriage because he was younger than 20 weeks but my experience really was he was still born first his you know, his body was born. And then it was only after that, that I started bleeding and cramping and other things. So, but 25% of women go through that. And yet we never talk about it. But when I mention it, then other women will go, well, me too. Or if I talk about being depressed, other people speak up and go, me too. Part of my journey to healing was I did, I couldn't figure out what came first. You know, did I have a physical problem that was causing the depression? Cause I was, was really anemic afterwards or you know was I depressed and that's why I was so exhausted or was all of it a spiritual problem because I was angry at God and you know like what so I just decided to kind of take baby wow. steps forward on, on all those fronts um physically mentally emotionally and spiritually so my first little baby step spiritually was to go talk to my pastor and his wife and you know I have this I talk about this in the opening chapter of my second book that's coming out in a couple months but just that fear of you know, what are people going to think of me? Because like, you know, a Christian's supposed to be peaceful and joyful. And here I am depressed and anxious. And I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And God hasn't answered my prayer. And what's wrong with me? But, you know, just having the courage to go say, hey, I messed up. And then the pastor's wife shared with me, you know, a time when she had gone through something similar, not the same thing, but uh, they just were very welcoming and very embracing of me. And I, I found that a lot of that stigma that I feared was really more in my head than with the actual people. You know, when you actually go to your friends and you say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, people are actually understanding. But it's just that mental barrier of, oh, people are, are gonna think awful things about me, you know, that kept me trying to hide it, kept trying to shove it down and just smile and move on. So that was my spiritual step, you know, for heart, I, as I mentioned, I went to a Christian counselor. Physically, self-care was huge as a mom of eight, homeschooling, and my husband was a squadron commander. So I was busy doing volunteer work. I, I didn't actually volunteer, but because he's the commander, you, you have to volunteer. <laughs> so I was busy. Self-care was not a thing. So I started taking better care of myself physically and my That's doctor. That's a requirement on commander's wife? Oh, yeah. I say okay. it's kind of like being a, a pastor's wife. You know, there's just a job that comes for the spouse as well, whether you want to or not. But it had a lot of fun aspects, but it was also just another thing on my plate. But my doctor helped me get on an antidepressant that, that was safe while I was nursing my youngest baby. And, and that's an uh, important consideration for mothers mm -hmm. out there, right? Is, you know, yeah. can, can I nurse? And a lot of my clients too are like, uh-oh, I'm a mom. So maybe my depression just has to wait mm -hmm. a year or two. It's, you know, so having yeah. the ability to ask those questions about, I have a story about that too, because when I did finally get on the medication, it was like a little boost right away. To me, I, you know, they say pills don't solve the problem. Well, they don't. You still have to do work yourself. But it got me up to a level where I was able to do the other things, where I cared enough about my own life to take care of myself and to want to be better. So just a couple of days after my daughter was in her high chair, you know, and I was playing with her, you know, just kind of teasing and doing whatever. I don't really remember. But all of a sudden I just had this thought in my head, this realization. And I thought, 
I actually feel playful. And that was when I realized that until that time I had been faking it. You know, I knew in my head that a good mom should play with her children. And I had, you know, before I had this tragedy and got stuck in this place, I had done that. So I was kind of going through the motions and doing it out of habit. But I, I just shocked myself when I was like, oh, I, I actually feel it this time. Like, I forgot what this feels like. And it was then that I realized the cost of waiting so long because for her whole life, I had not felt like it. You know, she was only 18 months or whatever at the time. So yeah, for moms, I would definitely encourage you to get help sooner rather than later. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash Richard Listens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash Richard Listens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports, all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. And there's no shame in that. Looking back, I'm pretty sure I had postpartum depression with my first child, but I didn't know what that was. And nobody talked about it back then. And, and I just thought that I had completely messed up my life by having a baby. <laughs> you know, we don't have to suffer alone in these things. There's help. And so that's really what I encourage everybody I talk to these days is to say, you know, if something's not right, come forward. It's okay. And if somebody doesn't believe you or can't help you or scoffs at you or whatever, go to the next person. Because I know, you know, with medication, it takes a while to find the right one with finding a counselor that you click with. You know, I had to try out a couple before I found one that was helpful to me. You know, sometimes you got to go through several different doctors, but just keep trying. When I went to the first counselor and it was kind of, it didn't work out well, you know, then I'm like, okay, see, fine. I try to go get help, you know, and now this happens. And so it took me a long time to build up the courage to go again, but I'm so glad I did because, uh, you know, ultimately that was a big piece of my healing. I did EMDR therapy. That's amazing. It sounds hooky, but it really helped me get unstuck from my traumatic memories of my son's passing. So I really needed that in my life to, to be able to move on from that reliving that moment over and over and over again. Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, get too personal, but maybe you share about it in your writings or your work mm -hmm. is there because part of EMDR is about, you know, we have these beliefs or stories we tell, which then they're harmful for us because we're telling them. Mm -hmm. Was there a belief or story that you started to tell that was more hopeful that started to kind of forgive mm -hmm. yourself or let you, you know, accept yeah. that now you were getting back to play and finding your own mm -hmm. version of Oh. Kind of the, the word that came out to me from that experience was abandonment. Not that I had ever really been abandoned, but I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt like he had been silent. I felt like he turned his back when I needed him most. And that, no, I felt betrayed. That was very hurtful to me. And so part of that healing was to realize he's been there all along. I just, in my grief, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't looking at the right things. Every little 
tiny thing that didn't go my way in life, I'm like, see, there's more evidence that God doesn't love me. You know, but if you turn that around and look at, oh my goodness, I'm blessed over here and I'm blessed over here and I'm blessed over there. You find what you seek. And when I was seeking ways that God was angry with me or seeking ways to be depressed, I found plenty of them. Seeking ways to blame myself for what happened. That's a big one. You know, forgiving ourselves is always harder, I think, than forgiving others. And forgiveness was a big piece of my healing too in all of that. So I would say just that realization that God had not turned his back on me, that he was there and he does love me. And that having a painful experience in life is not evidence that God doesn't care about me. Really important learning. And I know from people who've been through war or different collective traumas that getting this place, this belief of, you know, where was God when I needed him can create this disconnection from even having any relationship to the spirit or soul. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is really powerful because Mm -hmm. the minute that we say, okay, I may not understand the relationship or what was happening, but you know, I trust that, right, my spiritual yep. process was happening all along. Mm-hmm. Then the minute we look for that, you have to believe it, and then you see it, or you, you stop looking yeah. or deciding that it's not there. You know, whatever you believe, you're right. Well, I just had so many doubts about God and questions about everything I had believed. And, you know, it was like the angel question, you know, why God? Why did this happen? Why did this happen this way? And all these, these other things. And I, you know, I stay awake at night wrestling with these big questions that, nobody has answers to. I finally got to the place where I realized I don't want a God that I understand. I want a God that I can trust even when I don't understand because any God that I could understand wouldn't be worthy of my worship. He wouldn't be able to help me anyway. I don't even understand myself. I can't even understand my dog. A God that I could understand would be very, very small. And so just that whole idea of his ways are higher than ours, his thoughts are higher than ours, but his intentions are always loving. And to learn to just trust his heart and not try to figure out his mind. (laughs) I mean, it's like if I tried to teach physics to my dog, you know, it just, it wouldn't work. If God tried to explain to us the workings of the universe, it would, we'd be like the dog going, huh? So a certain amount, right? Letting go, trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how have you found your messages? Has it been received well in the faith communities or military communities where traditionally, right? Other people mm-hmm. are going through that stigma or feeling like I can't mention this because I know the fear, right? Could this affect right. my, I don't want my job or my, I don't mm-hmm. want to not get the next promotion because I think, or trust me in battle yeah. because mm-hmm. I'm the the wife who's struggling or, right? Mm-hmm. I think both the military and the church are making progress in that area. I was given several opportunities in both places to speak to people and say, hey, it's okay to get help. And to offer people, you know, these are resources that are available to you and things like that. And I think there is, you know, just in general, more of an emphasis on being our authentic self. I think that's, you know, part of who God created us to be. And as long as we're trying to pretend that we're something we're not, we're not going to find healing. We're not going to be living a fulfilling life. You know, we find that wholeness when we live true to who we are and what we're feeling. And, you know, obviously there's a line there because I mean, you know, how many times do people go, oh, how are you doing? And you're like, I'm fine. And inside you're thinking, I'm not fine. But not everybody who asks how you're doing is ready to have you unload your whole story on them. You know, so it's kind of that sensitive thing. Sometimes I do say I'm fine when I'm not because of the relationship or the the place or the timing or whatever. When it is a proper time and place with the right person, you know, I do feel more free to open up and say, yeah, I'm really struggling with XYZ today or whatever. I think Christians tend to want to sugarcoat everything, you know, especially too with grief. We always, all of us are guilty of this, of wanting to say something to make it better. And we have to accept the fact that we can't say anything to make it better. People just need us to grieve with them. And so, you know, a lot of hurtful comments arise because people are trying 
to put some sort of sugar-coated icing on the thing that you can't. It's just raw and ugly, you know, and they'll say things like, well, at least you weren't further along as if, you know, I would grieve less. If That's like saying, well, at least your child wasn't five years old. You know, at least he died when he was three. That, that is irrelevant, <laughs> you know, or they'll say, oh, you can try again or, oh, you already have these other children. And they're trying to put a positive spin on something you can't spin positively. And then that winds up building up, you know, more hurt and resentment. And I think really what people just people just need us to be present and just to grieve with them and just we don't even have to say anything just hug them or stand next to them or hand them a kleenex or just be present i think is all that that people need that's really amazing what you said you know the power of just being present and feeling and we feel and we sense before our words come out sometimes mm -hmm. or we hope that those who love us can sense what we're trying to bring to them or a gesture which has been the hardest mm -hmm. thing about covid not be able to give a hug or yeah. something yeah to show physical comfort. And I think that speaks to just lack of experience sometimes or uncomfortability mm -hmm. that these topics yeah. are so, people do not know what to say if they haven't experienced grief mm -hmm. themselves or have not ever been through an experience with mental health or with loss. I mm -hmm. think, right, sometimes they, we say things just to make ourselves comfortable. It's interesting when you said that, I'm reading this book called Ethical Sellout, and it's about the choices we make, which sometimes might sell ourselves out in one area or another, but mm -hmm. we do it consciously or strategically. So we may not tell, you know, authentically, I want to tell everyone, right, I'm wearing my heart mm -hmm. on my sleeve and what I've been through, but I may choose not to in a given place because there may not be the receptivity there. Or there's yeah. not kind of the, the EMDR term of a container of safety. I want people, you know, my clients to be protective of their mental health. I do want to acknowledge their vulnerability and what they're going through. And yet at the same time, be creatively looking for those, like you said, moments of play where you can engage, where someone mm -hmm. does look like they can they can handle the download, as yeah. you say. And I think there are, you know, as you point out, there are places or people who are maybe not safe to share our hearts as much. So I know there's that balance too of we do need to protect ourselves, especially if we're still wounded and still hurting. We don't want to open ourselves up to somebody else piling on. <laughs> You know, so just choosing those people that we trust carefully. One reason I resisted getting counseling for a long time is because I thought, you know, I don't want to pay somebody to listen to me. You know, I just need a friend to listen to me or whatever. But really to have somebody who's completely outside of all your other social circles and is just more objective and not tied up in the middle of stuff is very, very helpful. Also, not to mention, obviously, the professional training <laughs> that they actually know what they're doing. All those excuses that I gave for all those years of why I didn't get help just seem so silly now. But I know when people are caught up in that, they feel so insurmountable. So I really just try to encourage people to lay all those excuses aside and go get the help you need. Take whatever your next baby step is to walk towards healing to help yourself feel better in another area to do that because God loves everybody and he wants the best for you. And sometimes we just have to walk that out. You know, I, I prayed and prayed and prayed that God would just take it away from me. And I, he certainly can in some situations, you know, I, I know of cases where people are miraculously healed and I believe that that's a thing. But in my case, God really wanted me to get off my couch and walk alongside him and do the work. And I feel like a big part of that is the ministry that I have now of sharing with people, hey, these are some practical steps that you could do to build your own resilience, to overcome whatever adversity you face and to get out there and live your purpose, because that's where the real fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in life are. Great segue. So maybe that's part of already what I'm going to ask you, but you know, you have your ebook for Life Hacks, Resilient Hack podcast is called Resilient Hacks. Is that right? Yeah. Resilient Life Hacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you share a few with us? Yeah. What are 
some ways that if someone is out there right now struggling, mm-hmm. they've been through a few losses, they've been through the pandemic and they're like, how do I get back up? You know, they're I, calling therapists and therapist lists are full, right? What are a few yeah. hacks to get them started? Right. My website is elizabethmyers.me and I have, that's kind of the hub of all the information. So it links to everything there. But actually I just launched season two of the Resilient Life Hacks. And my first episode was I actually invited my own personal counselor on the show to explain EMDR because I try to explain to people and it sounds kind of hokey. (laughs) Give us like the actual scientific thing because there's really good solid science research behind it. And so she came on and she shared about that. And we shared, you know, personally about my story and about how it helped me. And the show notes and the blog post, the link to that I have, I forget the name of it right now. You may know, but there's an online website where you can find a counselor trained in EMDR to help you get unstuck from that place. So, you know, if somebody's interested in that aspect. Is it uh, EMDRIA? Is it E-M-D-R-I-A? And yeah. That's uh, that the International it. Crediting Organization. Yeah. Please take a look. EMDRIA, E-M-D-R-I-A dot com or dot org. And I can have it posted in the show notes, but mm-hmm. it's amazing because you're right. There is, and I'm trying to think of, there's a guy named Odd de Jung. I think he's from Sweden or Norway, A-H-D-E-J-O-N-G. And he's done a lot of research and hysterical presentations, by the way, on the science behind the MDR, because he knows that a lot of people have been feeling this. Like, what is the power of, you know, following a finger or tapping your legs or your eye movement with healing trauma? And so, but I feel like, you know, the, not only the therapy community, but the world community has been moving in that direction of understanding how Mm -hmm. this power of how your brain gets kind of short circuited in a trauma and gets stuck on certain patterns and the power of practicing that, you know, bilateral stimulation and what it can do to Mm -hmm. retrain. Yeah. It was very helpful to me to understand the concept that trauma is stored in the brain differently than regular memories. So we need to kind of access it differently to kind of find that healing. And so just simply just talking about it wasn't helpful to me. I I was reliving it all the time. I was literally, my part of my brain was stuck in that moment and could not come into the present. You know, but after I went through several sessions of the EMDR, I described it as, you know, it was like the river was dammed up and it was just, the river was flowing again. Like I could experience life in the present instead of part of me being stuck back there in the past. Or I saw my counselor for that. Anytime I mentioned my son, Timothy, I would fall apart. I would start crying. I was very emotional. It was still a very raw wound to me. And now, of course, I mean, that's part of my ministry. That's part of what I do is I talk about him all the time. And I wouldn't be able to do that without that healing that I experienced in my life. And so just power of that is really amazing. And so it's, I've gone from having like this gushing wound that was still, you know, think if you have raw skin somewhere and somebody rubbed sandpaper on it, you know, it really hurt a lot. But now it's a scar, you know, it's still there. It's still part of who I am, but you can poke it and it it doesn't hurt anymore. And that's what the EMDR has done for me with my Christian counselor. And of course, that's just one part of, you know, like I said, I've got five different areas that I concentrate on. Of course, you know, this aligns with what you do professionally too. So there's other suggestions and offerings that I give in the book too. What was episode two on? I've recorded like 30 ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because we mentioned Podmatch earlier, I've gotten so many... So I'm like, I've recorded like all the way out to November. Many You're recently, by yourself? Yeah, I am a one woman show toying with the idea of trying to hire someone to help me, but I'm not in a place where I'm making money yet. Really all that I'm helping from a heart of helping and, you know, a ministry and desire to help others. And so I'm realizing that I kind of need to make this event self-sustaining. <laughs> so I need to kind of at least bring in some income to cover the expenses so that I can hire somebody. But yeah, so it's a lot to keep track of. Had people on about loving your story about how, how we all have a 
story to share. I've had people with different disabilities or different illnesses, trauma and things that have happened to them. I had a, a missionary from Africa come on and talk about how her and her husband got to the mission field. And it's a crazy story. Like several points along the way while she was telling me, I was like, oh, okay, that's the end. She's like, no, no, wait, there's more. <laughs> so, you know, there's all kinds of just anybody who's overcome something or is an expert at helping people overcome something. And, and when you uh, so speak of trust, right? How many people, when they went on a journey to heal, then found their ministering or their passion or their mm -hmm. purpose in some way that then gave life to a whole other career or moving to yeah. a different place, like a whole other direction for their work. I think that often happens. Like our area of greatest impact is also our greatest difficulty or challenge. I talk about like going back and mining the pain for the gold. And with what I'm doing now, it's like there's purpose in my pain. It's not just a random act of grief. And my son's life was so brief. You know, he was only here on the earth for 14 weeks and then he was gone. He never even took a breath. But what I do now is because of him and kind of lives on in his name, you know, so that it gives purpose and meaning and fulfillment to the whole thing in a way that back when I was depressed and thinking life was over, I never, ever, ever could have imagined this. Thank you, Timothy. So are there grief groups for women who lose uh, children preterm? Is there any space that you found? So, you know, I'm not sure what's available now. I haven't looked recently. At the time, no, I couldn't really find anything. There was one group called MEND, E-M-M-E-N-D, but it only met and, you know, it had a few local chapters in place. It wasn't where I was and they weren't online, but I did subscribe to their newsletter that was mailed to my house. I went and did that. And ironically, there was a, a support group on a homeschool forum that I was on and it was for parents who had lost children, but they, they had a whole disclaimer in their thing of this is only if your child has died after birth. Like they specifically said no pregnancy or infant loss here. Was that Older due to training or was that due to religious philosophy or not sure? I'm not sure why they had that on there. And for some reason, I can't remember how this was, but for somehow the forum worked where I could read their post. I just couldn't post myself because I couldn't join the group. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, so much for sharing a little bit more. And hopefully for our listeners out there, if they are going through a loss, I know I have clients who are at home not feeling they can tell their in-laws or not sure how to process going through this kind of a decision or, you know, and, and how to get help, where to go for mm -hmm. help. So I appreciate you giving voice and being out in front as a resource and a leader. Please tell our listeners how to get a hold of you when you're not ministering and tending to a whole, you got a whole five on five basketball game yeah. over there, uh, how they yeah. can reach you, how they can get a hold of your books and subscribe to your podcast and all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. And to just add on to what you were saying, there are so many different avenues to get help. And there are so many people out there who want to help. So just reach out and connect with those people that are out there. Keep looking for them. My website is elizabethmyers.me. That's kind of the hub of everything. And I have links to social media accounts and things there on most places. I'm the Liz Myers. And it's M-E-Y, M-E-Y, correct? Yes. My podcast is Resilient Life Hacks. So you can listen to that on whatever app you like to listen to podcasts on. And basically that's that the website has my links to everything to, to what I'm doing and um, where you can find things and the updates for my book and stuff like that. And then there's a lot of blog posts, uh, you know, material on things that dovetail with the book. 
And I have a lot of freebie downloads, um, you know, like top 20 resilient life hacks. There's one on, on how to rejuvenate your prayer life. If you're interested in that, I have some summary things from some of my books. There's a discussion guide that goes with the book. You know, if you want to do it with a, a group club or a Bible study or something like that. So there's a lot of different resources that I try to offer there just for free. It's amazing. I know I was going on there before. It's really, really professionally done your site. Is there a YouTube channel also? Uh, yes. So I'm right now I'm publishing the podcast to Podbean and YouTube because <laughs> I was trying to kind of build up more content there too. And I do have a course that's based around the first book. So it's got videos that go with it. I have some ideas for, for more videos that I want to put out. It's just, like I said, I'm a one woman show. So it's about the time and where to prioritize things. That's right. One thing at a time. Well, it's amazing. Right. And if you or anyone out there, you know, is going through this and maybe is struggling to find a resource, you know, obviously reach out to me privately if I can connect you to any resources, especially for trauma and healing. And uh, maybe Elizabeth, if she cannot help you, can connect you. But at least you can start sometimes the simplest step, getting PDF download, hearing there's mm -hmm. things you can do to start even beginning to heal. Sometimes the simple step, and even if we can't do them all the time, at least we know they're there. At least we know our experience is valid and that we're not alone. You know, Elizabeth, I'm so thankful that you made time for me and my listeners on short notice in the crazy changing world. Are you guys settled in? Are you moved? Are you? Yeah, we're pretty well settled now. Of course, we've moved several times. This one's a little bit different because we're not planning to move again. You know, we're planning to stay here. And we've always wanted to kind of live out in the country. It's been my dream for a long time to have chickens. So we have chickens. We got sheep to mow our lawn. And then we got a garden dog to watch them all. So we're adding all kinds of animals in a garden. And we're just doing the whole like backyard homesteading thing, but we don't know what we're doing, but we're having fun learning. It's great. So yeah, we are moved in, but there's always some, like every day there's some new animal adventure that today the <laughs> sheep got themselves tangled up in the netting and we had to go like, you know, it's like full up sheep rodeo out there when I was trying to write. So there's always an adventure going on. <laughs> yeah, they don't understand the, the boundaries as well. It's giving me a lot of material for the whole, you know, the Lord is my shepherd thing. And <laughs> I've heard it said that God wasn't really giving us any compliments when he called us a sheep because they're kind of dumb animals. They're a lot of fun, but they aren't the sharpest tool in the drawer. <laughs> well, I tell everybody we adopted a shepherd husky mix during the pandemic. And sometimes, yeah, I feel like right, she's my shepherd, right? It's like <laughs> the metaphor. Yeah. You start being like, oh, that's kind of what they meant, you know, yeah. <laughs> brought a lot of life. A lot, I know a lot of people to care for animals. That relationship has mm -hmm. been also tremendous and getting mm -hmm. us back to play, which is what also a lot of whatever, you know, faiths, whatever healing practice, whatever therapy you go through, some sense of connection, whether it be the smashed broccolis and carrots at the high chair mm -hmm. or playing with, mm -hmm. you know, animals or getting outside in nature, anything you can do that mm -hmm. starts to allow you just to feel good again. Yeah. And that's important. It's okay to be struggling and grieving and still notice that you need to feel good. We need that break from suffering. Sometimes that would help kickstart yeah. our nervous system back towards balance. It helps me a lot. You. That's just really small is like take my cell phone and just go on a walk. And I just take pictures of things that I think are beautiful or that make me happy. And just that act of focusing on that thing really helps my, my mental health a lot. 
just, you know, whether it's a flower or, you know, a sunset or what have you, my children are animals. I just really feel a lot of genuine joy when I do that, when I take the time to focus on the beauty and the blessings that are around me all the time that I miss if I don't take the time to look for them. That's amazing. Well, I'm already getting visions playing with the sheep. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being here on behalf of my listeners. And I hope this next chapter is creative, adventurous, and filled with lots of RV trips. Well, again, it's a pleasure having Elizabeth Myers, her stories of resilience, her Resilient Life Hacks podcast, and her books and journey through grief and loss, and yet being a resilient mom who honors her own depression and her own story and finding new faith and new ways to go from trial to triumph and helps others along the way. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of my tribe. I'm grateful to you. I'm so appreciative. And please listen on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Richard. You can also reach me, richardlistens.com, or if you or someone you know needs help or healing, please reach out to me. Instagram at richardlistens as well, or richard at richardlistens.com. Take care, everyone. Be safe. Have a great summer. And I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone. 